This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufall and Stephen Mareska. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufall, and today I'm joined by Matt Fasaro, uh, the Senior Security Engineer with Vancourt. Hi, Matt. Hi. Nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, and Randy Parkman, the Vice President of Threat Hunting and Counterintelligence Services at Binary Defense. Hi, Randy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, so, you know, we work together pretty closely, uh, Binary Defense and Vancord, and you know, we were having a conversation recently around sort of common, you know, malware delivery methods and phishing and, you know, sort of all that, you know, social engineering uh, exploits that we talk about. And we just recently did a, a podcast here where we talked about you know, what, what I'll say is the more traditional phishing exploits and phishing tactics that attackers use. Uh, when we chatted with you about it, you had a pretty clear sort of story and a set of new tactics that in a way really run counter to all the things that we see that are really common and traditional uh, malware delivery techniques. And so I really want to spend some time on that today. And I know I know you have thoughts there and you're seeing a, a specific exploit that seems to be getting a lot of uh, sort of success uh, that I'd like you to touch on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you know, threat actors are very creative people. And every time we get better as defenders at putting blocks in their way, at scanning email or scanning network traffic a little bit better, um, they go to work trying to figure out a way to get around that. And as um, many people have been educated every uh, Cybersecurity Awareness Month or you know, whenever they get a refresher on their cybersecurity, um, you know that when you receive a suspicious email that you need to look for links in that email or an attachment to that email. And that's what you need to watch out for, right? That's that's the common advice that we've all been given. And that's still very true and that's very applicable and it's something that everybody needs to be aware of. However, um, just this year, starting in January, we started seeing threat actors doing something a little bit different, specifically to get around that sort of awareness that people already have. They would send an email but it wouldn't have any links and it wouldn't have any attachments to it. And that is the scheme that I'd like to talk about. Is there a specific, so you know, for, for folks who might want to learn more about this as they listen, uh, is there a specific you know, attack variant or attack name that you want to refer to? Well, the, the researchers who started looking at this um, and publicly posting about it called it Bazaar Call, uh, B-A-Z-A-R-C-A-L-L, because that was the primary um, uh, payload that was being delivered by it, was the Bazaar Loader. That's also a, a sort of a strange name, and it comes from the top-level domain names of the infrastructure that the threat actors use using Immercoin DNS. Um, but the real point of this that is the most interesting is not the name of the malware that's delivered. It's really the method that's being used. Um, the call in Bazaar call comes from the fact that the threat actors try to convince people who receive the email to pick up the phone and call them. And that is unusual. Usually um, any kind of a threat on the phone comes from somebody calling you and you can recognize that it's not a number you're um, uh, aware of. It's not uh, something that you expect to get a call from. Maybe you can ignore that. But when you receive an email that tells you that an order has been placed for something and that you're going to be on the hook for paying the bill, maybe uh, a subscription 
is being renewed or some item like a, a concert ticket has been purchased and your name is attached to it, and then it gives you a telephone number to call customer service, a lot of people are tempted to actually pick up the phone and, and call because they want to resolve whatever issue has happened that's gotten their name in, involved with this. Yeah, right. so they think that they're actually taking an active role in protecting themselves when really they're engaging with an attacker. Right. Which is exactly what we ask them to do all the time, right? Take right. matters into your own hand and, and sort of you know go on the offensive, right? Make that phone right. call. Yeah, exactly. And that is part of the social engineering technique, because when somebody calls you, you're automatically suspicious. But if you're picking up the phone and dialing a number, you might have a little bit of suspicion, but you still think that you're in charge. You're in control of this call because you placed it. Now, I'd have to imagine that the success rate um, per campaign that they do is probably lower with this. Are you seeing that or is it kind of the same as all the other phishing campaigns that you see out there? as far as participation so, from the user? So it's hard to get really good numbers, but yeah. um, it seems that uh, based on just talking to people and, and comparing notes with a lot of other researchers, um, it's pretty common for um, at least, you know, several hundred people a day to call in to the phone number because the the threat actor uh, has staffed their, um, their operator staff um, with, at least a few dozen people just based on having made a lot of different calls and talking to different people, keeping notes about who answered the phone on different days. Um, we can see that it's a fairly large scale operation. So it, it again, though, it's a good uh, demonstration of how organized these threat actors are, right? I mean, they're, they're sending out emails, they're thinking about what might work, but then they're actually creating and staffing a, a call center, right? So there, there's got to be a significant ROI in this if they're going to pay people to, to create the scripts and man the, help, the the call centers and walk through whatever activities they, they undergo. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's been pretty obvious to everybody who's been studying the threat that it hasn't just gone away. It hasn't dried up. It actually increased in um, uh, volume. And uh, started out, like I said, in January of this year, but it, it really peaked um, in the summer months and just kept on going. So um, it, couldn't, it couldn't be sustained if it weren't working. Now, are they targeting any particular industry, any type of uh, customer profile? Um, we've looked and seen um, uh, threats across lots of different industries, from education to manufacturing, finance, um, and uh, high technology companies. There's also been um, email campaigns that have targeted individual people um, through their Gmail or Yahoo or whatever. So it seems that they're taking the usual scattershot approach of just uh, throwing it out to as many different email addresses as they possibly can, and then seeing who's gonna pick up the phone and call them. Right. So let's keep playing out the scenario. So you receive an email, you're concerned enough that something legitimate happened that you actually make that phone call. What's that experience look like from there then? Um, so over the months, I've made uh, many dozens of phone calls to these people. Um, and so I've experienced a lot of different variations on this theme, but I can summarize it that um, the person on the other end of the phone is going to ask for some kind of a unique order number that is in the email. They'll wait for you, the caller, to kind of initiate the conversation and say what you're calling about. Um, and then they'll act like they're really concerned that 
whatever issue that you're having, they want to resolve it. They want to make sure that you don't get charged for anything that you didn't order. And so they'll ask you for the order number. As soon as you give them the order number from the email, they type that into a system and then they get information about um, that email that was sent to you. So they know what email address it was sent to. Sometimes they know your first and last name. And I know this because they read that information back to me on the phone. That kind of makes it seem more legitimate, right? Because they've got your name, this order number connects to something. It seems like it's not just a scam. It's, you know, some sort of a system that they're typing into. Um, so they'll go through um, their system and they'll tell you that uh, somebody named John Edwards has placed this order, but used your name. That story doesn't really make a lot of sense, but for some reason it's convincing enough that they kept using it month after month after month, which was really interesting to me. Sometimes they'd even give an address for John Edwards in California. Um, so uh, once once they've uh, convinced you that there is some kind of an order, are we having trouble with the audio? Nope, 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 we're good. Okay, sorry. All right, let's start that one over. So I've made several of these phone calls, dozens of these phone calls over the last several months, and I've experienced uh, lots of different variations on this theme, but I can summarize it. Um, so when you first place the call, the uh, call operator on the other end will listen to you and kind of take your complaint that you know, you've received this email about an order that you didn't place. And then they're gonna ask you for an order number that is in the email. Uh, once you give them the order number, they'll type that into a system and they'll read back to you your name and your email address and make it seem a little bit more legitimate. They've got a fake story that they stick to about somebody named John Edwards having placed this order, but using your name and your credit card number uh, to pay for it. And then they'll ask you if you intended to place this order or if you'd like to cancel it. Of course, at this point, you're going to say you'd like to cancel it. But I've messed with the call operators and told them, you know, I was actually really excited about their products and I wanted to order more and they were completely taken <laughs> aback. They didn't know how to handle that. Um, so once you tell them that you'd like to cancel your order, they'll uh, have you go to a website and they'll read out the domain name of the website. It's usually something pretty simple so that you can type it in. And when you go there, the website actually looks really professional. I mean, Whoever designed these probably had some kind of a background in marketing because they put together beautiful images and really nice responsive web pages that um, have uh, animated menus and are they seem to be fully fleshed out. Like you can click on all the different links and you can explore the website all you like. And yeah, it looks I've pretty seen good. a couple of them. They, they actually do a really good job of making it look very legitimate. They do. Um, and then they will um, uh, tell you that you need to go to a certain place on the website. Uh, usually involves a couple of different clicks to get to a place where you can cancel your order. To cancel your order, they'll have you put in your order number again and your email address. That's to uh, help them stop uh, researchers and antivirus companies from going in and just, you know, uh, retrieving the payloads themselves, you actually have to be on the phone with somebody and you have to have an order number and an email address that match up. Um, if you do that, then you are directed to download an Excel spreadsheet. And that's where anybody who's been caught up to this point should really have the red flag start going off. Um, the, the fact that somebody would ask you to download an Excel spreadsheet as part of a, a process to cancel an order if you think about it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. 
But at this point, because you've been socially engineered and you believe in this story and the website looks convincing and the person on the other end of the phone seems really helpful and friendly, it seems like it wouldn't be a big deal just to open it up. But that's the trick. If you open up the Excel spreadsheet, it has malicious macros in it. That infects your computer and that gives the threat actors a backdoor to start exploring your computer. And if you're connected to a corporate network, they can uh, spread throughout the rest of your corporate network and deploy ransomware, which is their ultimate goal. Yeah, and I'd say most of the security awareness training that's out there now, well, like you said, Randy, that's the the marker. You're downloading an Excel spreadsheet. You know, They also usually ask you to enable macros. You're not supposed to do that, but they've got you in a position where you you trust this person on the other end of the phone. You're scared because your credit card's out there. You want to make sure that you're not getting charged for things that you didn't want to pay for. So it's, it's a tough situation for the user. Yeah, it absolutely is. And that is the point of all of this. That's why they went to all this trouble to put together a call center, to put together these really realistic looking websites. I mean, all of that takes a lot of work. And clearly that work is paying off um, in the, the rewards for doing the social engineering. They're getting more people to click on it. They're getting more people to open it up. And what's the goal here, really? Is this just a, another step to get to ransomware? Or is this group, uh, I guess, offering their services out to other other uh, malware groups, ransomware groups? Um, it's hard to it's hard to tell on the back end uh, how many different groups are involved. Usually in cybercrime, there's a number of different. Um, criminal groups. There's one that's trying to get the initial exploitation and get a foothold onto that network. And then there's usually others that follow up with um, uh, ransomware or something else. What we do know is that whether it's one group or a few, this scheme ultimately leads to ransomware. And uh, they're going after businesses. They're trying to get into any sort of business that they can. They're trying to get access to as many computers and servers as they can and then deploy the ransomware. Right. So, I mean, just another example, though, where it's not an ad hoc activity, right? I mean, it's coordinated, it's intentional uh, and, and staged. You know, they've got multiple threat actors potentially involved in these, which we see all the time. And I right. think too often there's that idea that, you know, these are just somebody who has an interest in, you know, trying to attack a company or an individual. That's just not the reality anymore. I guess, Randy, in your opinion, is there anything different that, you know, we as say, security practitioners need to do to train users, right? Because a lot of times it starts with, you know, take a look at the sending address of an email or take a look at the URL that they're asking you to click on. You know, those those aren't, they're not present here, right? It's a legitimate email and they're just simply saying, you know, call this phone number to get some, to get some assistance resolving the issue. Um, it really does flip the script for folks and a lot of the things that we teach them. Uh, short of don't download that Excel document after now you're, 75% way through this process, it's really challenging. Yeah, I think I think that this really highlights the need for um, defenders to be aware of this type of activity. And when you are educating users about the different scams that they might face, you know, include this in the training, but know that the threat actors are going to extreme lengths to try to get around all of that awareness and get people um, on the hook, so to speak, so that they'll download this anyway. So as defenders, we really need to be focused on um, stopping that kind of uh, threat activity on the endpoint. Um, if we if we understand our environment and people don't normally download Excel spreadsheets from websites, 
and open up uh, spreadsheets with uh, macros in them, you know, maybe we can be proactive blocking that with the tax surface reduction rules um, from Microsoft Intune. Or we can uh, profile what is normal. Maybe there's only a handful of users that normally would get Excel spreadsheets from somewhere else and need to run macros, and we can limit it to just allowing those users to do it and block it for other people. Um, but I think just making it easy for people not to get infected, um, uh, trying to help them out so that they don't need to understand all the different uh, schemes, they don't have to understand all the different ways they might be tricked, um, that is probably the most effective way to prevent this from you know, going all the way to ransomware. Right, yeah, I think this is one of those situations where you, you have to combine the <clears throat> the the technical controls with the um, his personnel controls, right? Making right. sure that you're not being socially engineered. This one's tough, though. It, really, if you're if you're on the phone, I guess your best defense here would be to make sure you're you're also authenticating the person on the other end, right? But they already have a lot of information about you. They have your name. Um, they have an order number. They're telling you that's been used. It, there's not a lot of information that you can really use in, the, in this scenario to say whether these people are real or not, right? Right, and they're, and they're putting a, a ton of effort. So, you know, I'd right. say Google, you know, the product or the company and see if you can get the phone number there. But I suspect with what Randy said, there probably is a, a product or a company with a phone number there that makes it right. feel really legitimate, right? So, you know, even just not trusting the email, your next best step probably gives you the same information. Right. Yeah, exactly. Those websites that they set up, which you can find if you go searching for them, um, those have the same phone number on them. So even if you're doing a little bit of due diligence and you right. think, hey, this this looks like a totally legit website. This doesn't look scammy at all. And it's got this phone number on it. I, th I think I'm going to call them. I think really as, as aware users, what we need to do is just question when somebody is asking us to do something that doesn't make sense. If I'm calling in to cancel an order, and I've given them an order number and they've looked it up on their computer and they've got it, they can just cancel it then and there, right? I mean, there's no reason to get me to download an Excel spreadsheet. That just doesn't make sense. Right, right. Yeah, it, it, it does, I think it doesn't make sense you know, to the three of us. I think a lot of people feel like, well, this is just a step that they make me take. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of crazy customer service practices out there. So unfortunately, as bizarre as it seems, you know, I think we've all stepped through things that we're like, well, this just doesn't make any sense for really legitimate companies. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I think, you know, this has been, this has been a great conversation in the sense that, you know, all of our discussions have are always really consistent around, this is how you identify phishing. And these are really the steps that you can take. And I think you've really brought to light here something that is unique and adds just a, you know, additional layer of a layer of complexity when we're talking with clients around sort of being proactive and training your staff and some of those technical controls, just another thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I think all those things are still valid, right? Totally valid. Uh, this is the, mm -hmm. this is the outlier. It may become the rule. Who knows? You know, we'll see in the future, but I, th I think we'll definitely start seeing more sophisticated social engineering coming out of this. It, a, a lot of the, I feel like awareness is becoming a little bit more forefront for a lot of companies. So the usual easy tactics aren't working as much. Uh, they're still pretty successful. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think we're still going to be seeing advanced attacks like this that make you feel good, make you feel like you're actually doing something right, uh, that you're following what you were taught during your security awareness. Right. And then you're 
ultimately falling into the trap here. Yeah, they're using our all of our tips against us, right? right? So right. Uh, any parting words, Randy, that you'd like to make sure you cover that you haven't? Um, I think one of the encouraging signs from something like this is that all of the effort that we're putting into, you know, better scanning of email for threats, that must be working in some way. Otherwise, the threat actors wouldn't go to all this trouble. Um, they're certainly feeling the pinch and they're, they're working harder and paying more people to try to get around these uh, defenses that we're putting up. So that's a little bit encouraging that, you know, we need to keep improving those email scanning defenses. Um, the other thing is um, we've taken this all the way in our lab and executed the malware and we can see what kind of things that threat actors do afterwards. And I can tell you that even though they go through all these steps to try to get the malware on in sort of an unusual way, uh, what they do afterwards is really typical. And um, when we have endpoint scanning and analysts looking at you know, what kind of commands are being run and what sort of processes are launching other processes, we can still spot all of these threats. Uh, just using the same techniques that we always have. So it's a real glass half full ending. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I personally appreciate it. Um, well, Randy, it's been a pleasure. I, thanks for kind of regaling us with your, your tales from the trenches there a little bit and giving us a, a perspective on, I think, something that's emerging that people aren't familiar with yet and uh, really provides an interesting alternative to what we see commonly. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and Matt, Thanks for joining. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. And if anybody has any additional interest, reach out to us at Fancord Security on Twitter. Follow us on LinkedIn. And of course, you can follow the podcast at Apple or Spotify. Stay vigilant. Stay resilient. This has been CyberSound. <laughs>